Oh, hey, now, wait a minute. Now, let me, that whole pumpkin pie story is floating around. Um, that piece was missing when I saw it. <laughs> All right? And from what I've heard, it's pretty good, so. Hey. Exactly, exactly. And just so it helps for the rest of you, I didn't just eat one piece. I took a little bit from every piece, you know. I checked it all out for you. Don't worry. You should all eat that now. Um, I'll tell you what, though, in all seriousness, since he's out of here, a lot of people help with this, right? I mean, a lot of people put in a lot of time and effort with this meal that we're doing tonight. Mark does a ton of stuff, okay? And... And, and his whole family is just, just sacrifices for this, but he's, he's back there a lot too. And if you get a chance, not while I'm preaching, but if you get a chance <laughs> to say thanks to him, uh, please do that either today or tonight sometime. Um, so I've made a decision. Um, it was a recent decision, okay, but I think a good one. I believe I'm going to cut by half the things that I teach Sam, okay? In fact, I think his life's going to be easier, my life's going to be easier, Ashley's life is going to be easier if I just cut it in half. Um, I, I think I'm going to stick with everything outside of the house, you know? Uh, you know, we get to the shop or we, we, we go out and, you know, do things around the house or something, that's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll do that part. And, and Ashley can do the other part. Because when I try to tell Sam, he'll ask me, how do I do something? Or how does this work? Or how do we do this? Okay. I will tell him. I will tell him how to do it. I'll tell him how it works. And I'll tell him how you figure this out. And inevitably... He's, he's asked the question, but inevitably he says, after I'm done with my explanation and showing everything, he says, well, that's not how mom does it. <laughs> Why did you ask if you already knew? So I'm just not even going to do it anymore. He asks a question. I'm going to say, are we inside the house? He's going to say, yes, it's not me. Go ask mom. I'm not going to show you. That's it. We'll, we'll just do outside the house. It's getting to the point sometimes where I look at him sideways. He'll say, well, Dad, how do you do this? And I'll just stare at him for a while. Does he really not know? Is he just, is he, is he, am I being punked here? Is he just going to say this? And I fall for it every time. Well, son, here's how I would do this. The math problem, well, whatever it is. Well, that's not how Mom does it. There it is again. How do you do this? How do we do it? We, we got to figure out how. We got to figure out how to do stuff. We, we learn how to do stuff from a lot of people and a lot of ways and a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, teachers and a, just, just a lot of influences in our life. We learn how to do some things. There is also, though, a great deal of uh, benefit in the search, in the figuring out how to do something because it becomes a part of us. It's built into us now when we figure out how to do it. We're a different, a whole different creation, uh, you know, today than we were yesterday. 
begins to build us into a new creation, this, this searching, this seeking. It's fine to understand. It's fine to get the answer from some people and some resources and folks around us. But, but discovering this thing and then putting it to practice, failing in our practice, and then trying again, it's a wonderful way to change us into who we are becoming. Frankly, it's a wonderful way to change us into who we ought to be. How? How? Let's pray. Father, I thank you once again for the love that you've shared. I thank you, Father, we get to look at your word, read your word, study and know it, understand it, and apply it to our lives, Father. I ask that you be a part of this time, that, that, that we are challenged today, that we are convicted today, uh, but also that, that you open our eyes and our ears to hear what you would have us say, that we are true, Father. Make us be true and accurate to what you say in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been talking about the church and asking and answering a lot of questions. Today, we ask the question, how? How do I live out my purpose? Now, we're going to talk about details next week, and so I encourage you to be here for that. We're going to look at church structure and ministries and, and all that stuff. We're going to throw in a little uh, probably Reformation and Restoration stuff to bring us to this place and this point. Uh, and so I would encourage you to be here for that. But today is the grander how, the bigger question of how. How do I live out my purpose? Uh, just as a reminder, oh, we, we, when we started this series, we asked the question, what is the church or who is the church? You've got to put those two things together, right? The church is those who have given their lives to Jesus. That's it. Those who have given their lives to Jesus. It's not those who have given their lives to Jesus and are really, really good because that would be none of us. It's those who have given their lives to Jesus. It's not those who have given their lives to Jesus and know everything there is to know because that would be none of us. Or always do it perfectly. That would be none of us. The church is those who have given, recognize their life, recognize what Jesus has done. We say, you owned this life. You have saved this life. You own this life. I'm giving this life to you. That's the church. We also discovered that the church is all over the place when we asked where the church is. That's who the church is, where the church is. If we use that as our definition, which is a proper definition, the church is everywhere. I mean, the church is everywhere. The church is all over this, this county and this state and this country and this world. The church is in uh, places that you work and where you go to have fun and your hobbies and all kinds. The church is all over the place. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. You ought to treat them that way. And they ought to treat you that way. Because i got to tell you, that would satisfy a lot of anxiety in our lives. Sometimes we think, boy, I'm here all alone. Or I think the church is this. The church is in trouble here. The church is this. The church is all kinds. It's all over the place. It's even in the lives and hearts of people that you might disagree with. Or that I might disagree with. Or that might disagree with each other. Often. Big things, small things. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm looking, at, I'm looking at Jody. Big things, small things, little things, things that affect you know the, the 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 entire world. You know, we have different perspectives on it, different understandings about it, and and it's a tragedy 
Church, it is a tragedy when we realize that this person has given their life to Jesus Christ. I have given my life to Jesus Christ. We disagree on something, and therefore this person is evil or is wrong or is this or that. Is there good and bad? Is there right and wrong? Is there following Jesus and not following Jesus? Absolutely there is. Absolutely. There's things we do that we shouldn't do. There's things we don't do that we should do. But bear in mind, if someone has given their life to Jesus Christ, that's a brother and sister in Christ, and that's where you begin. Now you go through the process of knowing, learning, understanding. Now you go through the process of growing, being refined, being perfected, ultimately to have this total and complete unity around this Lord's eternal Lord's table. In the meantime, we are struggling and kind of slogging it out as we go through life, being refined. So you can disagree, you can teach, you can show, you can understand, you can open someone's eyes to some pieces of Scripture and help them to realize it, but don't turn around and tell me that that person, just because you disagree with them, is, you know, condemned to hell. They've given their life to Jesus, and they're trying to figure this out. They're trying to battle against the flesh, all these same things, through this sanctification process. The church is everywhere. The church is everywhere. We even looked at when the church began. The church began 2,000 years ago. Your church began 2,000 years ago. I think that's pretty cool. Through an unbroken line right here today, and here you are. 2,000. Now, it's all over the place, and it's gone through some hard times and some good times, and it's gone through some changes, and it's gone through all kinds of things. But 2,000 years ago, a group of 3,000 Jewish men and women gave their lives to Jesus Christ, and there we go. We're off to the races. And it will last for all eternity. By the way, when we talk about when, when do you do, church? Well, we use the example of mom or dad or, or even just being a human being. I mean, if the church is your definition as a person, well, when do you do dad? When do you do mom? When do you do human being? All the time. And you try to do your best at it all the time, right? Well, at least most of us try to do our best at it all the time. Now I'm looking at you. But that's what we do. We are the church, and so you do your best. That's when you do church. You do church right now, this morning, right here. And then when we stop, and when you go home, you do, the, the, you do it there. You do it on the way home. You do it when you go to work on Monday morning. And then finally, we looked at the why. <clears throat> why does the church exist? What is our purpose? If you're going to define yourself as the church, what is your purpose? Now, if you don't like this purpose, you don't want this purpose, you've got to ask yourself if you believe in Jesus, if you want to have this relationship with Christ. What is our purpose? Jesus says, point blank, you are to be a royal priest. If you accept Jesus, you are a royal priest witnessing for Jesus and serving as his body. I can defend that against anyone and anything through the word of God. So if you don't like that, if you don't want to do that, you got to ask yourself if you want to follow Jesus. Because when you follow Jesus, when you give your life over to Jesus, that's your job. You're taking on that role. And it's a gift, by the way to be this royal priest, to be a witness for Christ and serving as his body, the hands, the feet, the mouth, the heart, the mind of Jesus Christ. Well, if that's my why, how do I actually do that? How do I do it? Let's start at the beginning in a broad way, and then next week we're going to look at some specifics as we go through how the church actually operates. How do we do that? Well, we start with the broad answer of knowing, understanding, and applying the Word of God. Knowing, understanding, and applying the Word of God. We started this series with that. Knowing, understanding, and applying the Word of God. This is knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. By the way, wisdom is the hardest part. Wisdom's the hardest part. 
And wisdom can and should be, that is skillful living, living properly, wisdom is, can be, should be, synonymous with obeying Christ. Obeying Christ. Because I will guarantee you to disobey the king is a very unwise thing to do. And so we have an obligation, if we want to grow in wisdom, if we want to live wisely, if we want to live skillfully, live the way you should live, it is obeying who and what Jesus is and obeying his commands. That's wisdom. Knowing is the easiest part, by the way. Okay, knowing is the easiest part. If you believe in Jesus, knowing is the easiest part. Knowing is accumulating knowledge. Knowing is accumulating facts. Knowing is reading the book. That's it. That's it. It is the easiest easiest possible thing a Christian can do. Number one. It's not even number one. It's number zero. All right. It is the beginning of the beginning. And if this is something that we don't want to do or we struggle with or we can't do, we've got to tackle that first. That is number one, the easiest thing a Christian can do is accumulate facts about Jesus. That's it. Okay? Now, some people can't read, and that's fine. You can listen, right? Have someone read to you. You can listen online. You can listen with your earbuds. I mean, there's all kinds of ways now to listen to the Word. But the accumulation of knowledge, the accumulation of facts, is the very simplest thing ever that a Christian can do. Forget about step number two if we refuse step number one. It is a wonderful thing to do, and it's a proper thing to do, to understand and read and know the Word of God, the eternal Word of God. That's how you do it. You read the Word. Now you study those facts. You get to know what those facts mean. This usually involves meditation, that is rolling it over and over in your mind. And I know that you can meditate if you worry, right? We worry, and we roll things over and over in our mind. Problem is, we're just meditating on the wrong thing. Okay, so I know you can meditate if you were. You just start meditating on the right things. This is the word of God, the commands of God, the character of God requires meditation. Not on the first chapter of John, the first verse of John, first two verses, the first verse of any book that you want. Small bites that you make a part of yourself and you digest it and you know it and you understand it. That's what understanding is is you begin to get taught. You begin to ask questions. I ask questions all the time. I ask questions when I started this message, and I started sending out some emails, and I started reading some books, and I, I thought I knew, and I, you know, I know this, and I don't know this, and I'm pretty sure I know this. I better start asking some questions, and I ask questions to people all over the place. You got to begin to grow and understand these facts, knowledge, understanding. It's a little bit harder than knowledge, but a little bit easier than wisdom. And it's not for the lazy person. I love what A.W. Pink says. You've probably heard this before. The Bible is no lazy man's book. Much of, it, much of its treasure, like the valuable minerals stored in the recesses of the earth, only yield up themselves to the diligent seeker. No verse of Scripture yields its meaning to the lazy person. Jesus said exactly that same thing. He was asked, why do you preach in parables? Why do you teach in parables? And Jesus told his disciples, because those who want to know are going to know, and those who don't want to know are never going to figure it out. That's why. That's why. The Bible is no lazy man's book. And finally, you apply what you understand. This is wisdom, proper application of knowledge. It requires, listen now, if you're going to take care, if you're going to do, live out your purpose, it requires obedience, humility, and courage. And finally, it requires trial and error. Trial and error. You've got to be able to mess up. 
you got to be okay with that. you got to do your best and screw it up. I do my best and screw stuff up all the time, and that's just the way life works. And you got to begin to continue to follow, continue to pursue Jesus Christ. you got to put this stuff into practice. I know it's semantics, but Jesus says, if you listen to me, the wise person who puts these things into practice. I like why he says put it into practice instead of putting it into perfection. James says the same thing. You've heard me say this many times from this pulpit anyway. Do not merely listen to the word in James 1 and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, like someone who looks at his face in the mirror after looking at himself, he turns around and forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, will be blessed, that is made fortunate, in what they do. Well, you're the church. What are you trying to do? Huh? What's your purpose? We looked at this last week. To witness as the priestly body of Christ. The hands, the feet, the mouth, the mind, and the heart. They will be blessed in what they do. Jesus says the same thing about knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Matthew 7, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, puts them into practice. This is listening to, this is asking about the Word of God. This is asking about Jesus Christ. We take this thing right here, we go home, and we set it on our coffee table, and then we go around the rest of life. And we tell Jesus without saying it, you sit there and keep your mouth shut. I don't want to hear from you. Let me handle this. Unless we have a really bad day, right? That should not be our life. It's not everybody's life in here. It should not be anyone's life in here. We need to be into and listen to and know the word of God. Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, streams rose, the winds blew, but that house did not fall down. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is a fool. That's all they are. A fool. The rain comes down, the streams rise, the winds blow, and the house falls down. You as individuals, you make up this church. You are the house of God. Now, we want that house to stand the test. We want that house to serve its purpose. Every time a storm comes through, you want that house to stand the test. So if, as we have already said, living our purpose requires knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, where do I begin? When I'm studying Scripture, knowing Scripture, reading Scripture in order for me to live out my purpose, well, Genesis is a good place. However, so I can avoid 100 eye rolls, we'll st- I guess 200 eye rolls, which is what it would be, uh, so I can avoid some eye rolls, uh, maybe we have a summary someplace in Scripture, a summary of where we can begin. Well, there certainly is, but please note, this cannot be the extent of our knowledge. Please don't leave here and say, well, the preacher told me to read this verse, and that's all I have to read, and that's all I have to apply. This cannot be the extent of your knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. But I want to start here, Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And some accounts, they say, with all of your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. Remember what we're asking. How do I live out my purpose? Uh, My purpose is to be the priestly body of Jesus Christ. Verse 38, this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. The law and the prophets. We've said this before. It's just another way of saying the Bible. All of the Bible. 
All of the Word of God, particularly the Old Testament, but all of the Word of God rests upon these two commands. If you can give me a summary as far as how I'm supposed to live out my why, this is it. To love God with all that you are. And then love your neighbor as yourself. So let's take this one step at a time. What does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength? How do I do it? Those two questions. Again, remembering our objective, how do I live out my purpose? Number one, we must get to know Him. We must get to know Him. I don't have these on the screen. You might have to write these down. You've got to get to know who Jesus is, what Jesus is, what His character is like. You've got to get to know God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You've got to get to know the one you're going to give your heart and life to. And by the way, I want you to remember this one. You've got to get to know Him because this is not a requirement for loving others. This is not a requirement for loving others. It's a requirement for loving God, not a requirement for loving others. <clears throat> if we don't know God, if we don't know His character, if we don't know His righteousness, if we don't know His faithfulness, if we don't know these promises that we have seen played out throughout history, if we don't get to know Him, then we cannot care about Him. If we don't recognize His work in our lives, His sanctifying work, then we cannot care about Him. Furthermore, we cannot possibly express love to Him by the way Jesus defines this expression of love. Now, we know God by His Word. We know God by prayer. We know God by His promises. We know God by faith. You learn about Him. You talk to Him. You walk with Him. You include Him on decisions. You ask Him. You realize who He is and what He is. You ever think that maybe we ask God to reveal Himself in our lives, that we come up to a problem, an issue, something in our lives, and we pray to God, show me, tell me, relieve me, do something here. And God says, I've already covered that. And that's His answer? You ever wonder that? I've already covered that. I've covered that in my word 14 times. You just don't know who I am. I've already given you that answer. We want the lights from heaven, right? And the angel's saying, ah, there's the answer. Jesus says, I've covered that already. you got to get to know Him. Second way is you got to love God and worship and praise Him. This is what it means to love God with all that you are. Worship and praise Him. This is this admiration and thanksgiving. That's why we began talking about that at communion. Admiration, worship, thanksgiving, praise. It's got to be a part of your life. It's got to be a regular part of your existence. Every day, every moment, every reflection, whether it's morning or evening, to realize that Jesus needs to be praised, should be praised, can be praised by you. And it should be admired for who He is, for what He is, His righteousness and His work in your life. To love God is to put Him first. By the way, this is why Jesus describes it the way He does, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. There's nothing left for anybody else, right? That's everything. God comes first. You, as well as everybody else, comes second. Close second, but second. What well, almost sounds like we talked about that in our last series. Unless you hate your mother and father, unless you hate your brother and sister, unless you hate your own life, you can't be my disciple. We talked about that in the crazy series. It's almost as if one person wrote this entire word and it all fits together, isn't it? 
you got to put God first. Everything that you are. And if you say that's hard to do, I submit that you practice, practice, and practice. And you watch God's faithfulness in your life. God's a lot more faithful than you and I will ever be. Watch his faithfulness in your life. Put it into practice. To love God is to desire him. It is yearning to be in his presence as well as his righteousness. You ever think something or do something or even want this moment where you wish God turned his back and, you know, kind of kind of shut his eyes and close his ears and say, boy, I hope he doesn't hear that or say that or see that or be a part of that. You want to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. You want to be around that table. You want to be overcome with the same righteousness that Jesus has. Number five, to love God is to obey him. And this is about desire to please him. This is about desire to please the one that we know. This is why loving others does not require that we know them. Because I'm going to love you because I want to please the one that I do know. I want to obey the one that I do know. And that that pleasure, that obedience is going to flow into the lives of people that I interact with, and we're going to call that love. You please the one you know. That's how you can show love to your enemies. That's how you can show love to strangers. It is to obey Jesus Christ. John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commands. John 14. If anyone loves me, they obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. John chapter 15. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. 1 John chapter 5. In fact, this is love for God, to keep His commands. Obedience. And His commands are not burdensome. Are they? Are they? His commands are not burdensome. By the way, if you're, just going, if you're going to say no, you ought to spend, let's, let's spend a week together. Because you've got to show me what you're doing. Yet, that's what the Bible says. His commands are not burdensome. I've gone through moments, and I've gone through days, and I've gone through times and seasons where His commands are burdensome. So it makes me wonder, am I doing it right? Or am I messing this up? Are His commands burdensome? First of all, if you don't read the Word of God, you can't answer that because you don't know what His commands are. Okay? But for those of you who do read the Word of God, are His commands burdensome? I want to make sure I'm doing it correctly. If I feel like his commands are burdensome, I must be doing it wrong. One of his commands is the second part of Matthew chapter 22, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does it mean to love your neighbor? It means to have a genuine desire for their good. That's what it means. Strangers, enemies, a genuine desire for their good. That's what it means to love your neighbor. Sometimes we have a nasty habit of trying to put the cart before the horse and then wonder why it's hard or burdensome or difficult to live out our purpose and live out the commands of Jesus Christ. After all, this verse is telling us how we live out our why. I'll tell you, I, I, a couple of days ago, two days ago, I ran in our yard back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I had a ball doing it. Okay, now, I when I was younger, okay, I was involved in sports. You know, everybody, you, you, same same story, right? You stay in shape, you work out, you do all that stuff. You know, I did that for like twenty years. I don't want to do that anymore. 
Okay? I'm done with that. All right? I just buy bigger clothes. That's it. All right? So much easier. And yet there I was two days ago in the yard running back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I wouldn't do that on my own. I don't know any sane person who would. You may. That's okay. All right? Maybe your thing. Be physically fit. Um, but there I was doing all that. And why? Why was I doing that? Why, why was I doing that? And not just doing that, I was enjoying doing it. Because, again, two days ago, we were out playing soccer. Me and Sam were out playing soccer. And then we were throwing the football. And back and forth, and back and forth, after like the first five or ten minutes, I was really debating on whether or not to tell him I needed a break. And then I was, I was, no, suck it up, man. You can do this. And then you get your second win, and then you're out there for a while, and now you're starting to have fun. So it takes a while for me to actually have fun. You know, am I, am I in trouble here, or am I going to have fun? All right, I'm having fun. And so we're out there for a long time. On my own, I would not be out there, okay? You wouldn't drive by and see me by myself out in the yard running laps. Maybe some of you would. And, and I applaud you for that. I really do. But not me. And yet there I was having a good time doing it. What was the difference? It was the very same thing. What's the difference? The difference is I am in the presence of the one I know and love. Suddenly, it's not so burdensome anymore. You see, we try to extend and express love to one another, live out our purpose, and we leave our relationship with Christ on the back burner, or we don't foster that and build that up in our lives. All of a sudden, we tell Jesus, you got a pretty high bar here because this is really hard to do. Jesus says, no, it's not. No, it's not. You come into my house, you spend some time with me, says Jesus. You go onto my soccer field in my yard, you and I are going to be enjoying this. Don't put the cart before the horse. Know this relationship. Have this desire to please the one you know. Now, all of a sudden, a genuine desire for the good of others is much easier to fulfill and want in our own lives. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. To love you as I should, I must worship God as creator. When I have learnt to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. Insofar as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God or instead of God, I shall be moving towards the state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. When first things are put first, second things are not suppressed but increased. When we struggle with the how of living out our purpose. It may be that we don't have a love for people problem, but we have a weak love and relationship with Jesus Christ. Love for God requires all that you are. Love for others is a decision of the will to please the one you know. By the way, it's not to please the people. It's not to please your enemy. It's not even to please your friend. What happens when you stop pleasing them? What happens when their attitudes change? Their opinions change? You know, now all of a sudden you don't know how to live out this purpose that you claim you have if you claim you're the church. God must be first. We want to live out our purpose if we want to genuinely desire the good of other people. If my purpose is serving as a priest, witnessing for Christ, being his hands and feet, mouth, heart, and if that is done by loving others, which hinges upon 
my love for God. Well, how do I do that then? How do I love God more? How do I cultivate a deeper love for God? These three things work for me. I don't know if they're going to work for you, but I would certainly practice these three things. First of all, time. Time. You spend time with Jesus. And I don't mean just existing. This used to be the definition of spending time with Christ. Accepting who Jesus is and then not dying for 60 years. Okay? I mean deliberate time with Jesus. In His Word, talking to Him. Listening to Him. Putting into practice the things that He tells us. Church, absence does not always make the heart grow fonder, right? Often it makes the heart grow forgetful. You have to deliberately spend time with your groom if you will claim that you are the bride of Christ. And I think that's the problem. Too many of us give our lives to Jesus. We go through the marriage ceremony, we go through the wedding, and then we just exist together rather than live together and build the home together. It's a part of that. And I'll tell you, anybody who's been married knows that there's good days and bad days with that. And there's moments of struggle and there's moments of joy and all that, all those things. There's, even, there's argument as you go back and forth with Jesus, go back and forth with the Spirit and the flesh. Moses always yelling at God about something. You ought to read those stories. I mean, there's, it's this back and forth. It's a lovely, lovely relationship, close relationship. You've got to spend time with this guy if you want to love him more. Second thing is, we've already talked about, been talking about, you've got to put this stuff into practice. There's no such thing as reading the Word, knowing the Word, accumulating the knowledge and the understanding, but not doing anything about it. If you don't do anything about it, you never see and realize the faithfulness of God in your life. You cannot turn around 20 years later and watch how God's working in your life. I can't tell you how many times something has happened, a moment has worked in my favor, and I'm kicking myself because it worked out well. And why am I kicking myself? Because I didn't have that moment to put this prayer into practice, this reverence and humility into practice. And I'd give anything if I could go back and do that. So I just express my thanksgiving. And that leads us to the third thing that increases our love for God. And this is probably the number one thing in my life, might be the number one thing in your life, expressions of thanksgiving. And it'll be different than mine. Ashley came down to the shop yesterday. We were out there working and down the barn there and we were talking about Thanksgiving and talking about the blessings of God in our life. And they, they left. Ashley and Sam went, went back up the house. And Sam, or Sam was outside playing. And I just, I just kind of looked around. And I said, man, I cannot believe what I have been given. Watching them walk back up the house. I can't believe this. I mean, I, it's almost like it's not real, you know. You have to express Thanksgiving. You have to reflect upon your walk with Jesus Christ and the grace of God in your life. you got to reflect back upon the disciplines. you got to reflect back upon the times he says, go for it, and the time he says, no way. you got to reflect back upon your growth, your understanding. you got to reflect back upon the sacrifices that he makes and continually makes for you in your life. I would suggest that you recommend, I would suggest, I recommend, that you reflect back upon yesterday and then the year ago and then 5 and 10. And watch this change in this walk. I would like to suggest that you reflect upon more. But I'm running out of stuff because I'm waiting on Wes to come up here. Because I want him to come up here and start playing some music. There he is. There's Ben. I should have just given him the nod. And finally this. This really is. You have to reflect back upon what Jesus has done. 
reflect back on what Jesus has done. You have to realize that he has given his life for you. And he gave his life eternally for you. That you get to experience what it is to exist around the Father's table forever. Not because of anything that you've done, but because of who he is, right? What he has done. One of the greatest ways to have this admiration for Jesus, this love for the Father. Tony Evans puts it this way. He, he says, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, sitting around the table, mom and dad and two girls. And, and the, two, the two young girls are good girls, you know. But they're arguing that day. They're fighting, they're misbehaving and so forth as they're sitting down to Thanksgiving dinner. And Father tells him, he says, look, I've told you for the last time. He says, but if you're going to continue to act that way, you can't be here. You can't, you can't be around the table. You can't be here for Thanksgiving dinner. You can't be in the presence of the rest of us if you're just going to be filled with all this anger and bitterness and rage and all this, all this stuff, this misbehaving and so forth. He says, I want you to go to your room. Both of them sends them up to the room. Thanksgiving dinner sends them up to the room. Well, a few minutes later, five, ten minutes later, they hear their mom calling. Says, girls, come on down. Come on downstairs. Come on down to dinner. And they come down, and the the table is is filled with this beautiful feast. And they sit down, and they begin to eat, and they realize dad's not there. Right? And and they ask mama, why is dad not here? And and, and she tells them, well, well, dad, dad gave his order. He gave his command. He gave his standard. He says, you can't be with the rest of the family if you're going to be that way. He says, but he doesn't want to deny you Thanksgiving. He doesn't want to deny you to feast around his own table. So not only did he provide this feast for you, right now, he's up in his room paying your price. That's what Jesus does. That's what the Father does for us. I hope as you come around your table this Thanksgiving that that you begin to think about stuff like that and this deep love and admiration for who Jesus is comes into your mind and into your heart. It's only then, church. It's only then that we are actually going to live out our purpose. That's the how. That's the how. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love you've given us. We thank you, Father, that we can continue to show and share this love every day of our lives as we thank you for who you are and what you are as we admire the very character and righteousness and perfection of Jesus Christ in our lives. Father, I ask that you help us to show that to people, that that we are, as you say, your body, an extension of what you are in the lives of other people. Help us to love them, even if they don't love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. For He is good, He is above all things. His love endures forever. Sing praise. Sing praise. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. His love endures forever.
that by the grace of God we will carry on. I'll show you later. You don't, you don't need to come tonight. <laughs> 